Today on Government Matters, the president's budget and the president's management agenda. There's a big connection. You'll learn what that connection is. One of the administration's top management leaders leaving my exclusive exit interview with Deputy Director for Management, Margaret Weicker. And time is running out on data centers at alcohol, tobacco, firearms, and explosives. ATF's Chief Technology Officer explains. Government Matters starts right now. From Washington, D.C. and around the world, this is Government Matters with Francis Rose. Thanks for watching the weekend edition of Government Matters, the only show covering the latest news, trends, and topics that matter to the business of government. I'm your host, Francis Rose. The president's management agenda will hit its 20th anniversary this spring. One of the champions of the PMA will not be around to make it to the party. Margaret Weikert is deputy director for management at the Office of Management and Budget. She is leaving the federal government, moving to Accenture next month. Margaret, welcome. We'll talk about your departure later in our conversation. How does the new budget request just out from the White House fit uh, support the president's management agenda? So we're continuing to hit on the same themes around IT modernization, data, uh, accountability and transparency and people um, reinforcing the mission service and stewardship objectives of the agency so you will see throughout the budget emphasis on those activities uh, both in the central management agency budgets so GSA OPM and OMB but also in the agencies themselves um, I think the big things on IT modernization have been talked about a lot Increasingly, there will be investments around the data strategy that was just uh, released. And then we continue to need to invest in people. And so there's a range of initiatives uh, focused uh, both in our central um, uh, agency budgets as, as well as across uh, other agencies. One of the people items that people noted in the budget request right away was the continued funding for uh, opportunities to move more functions of the Office of Personnel Management into the General Services Administration. Given the resistance from Congress, what can you continue to do and what are you not able to do that you'd like to do regarding that? What will that 80 million essentially go to? Sure, uh, so 70 million. Thank you. And um, the, the budget document obviously is a vision document. We're trying to showcase what we think good government looks like uh, in, in fiscal 21. Uh, we continue to work with Congress on helping them better understand. We're confident that the study that Congress proposed will educate members of Congress about what we already know and the private sector already know and states like Virginia and Missouri and Florida and California already know that an integrated management function that can look across people, process, technology, buildings is actually in the best position to, to do these things. But the 70 million is an increase from the last budget because basically as the result of work we've already done on this integration, uh, the interagency agreements, we have identified a lot of root cause IT issues that are going to cost more mm -hmm. and have made real progress on those issues. So it, it might be notable uh, to a lot of your viewers that in the same period of time we had the interagency agreement in place, uh, we went from a D plus at OPM to a C plus on the IT scorecard called the Fatara scorecard. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I, I think even members of Congress like Jerry Connolly 
um, might have noticed that some of the work we're already doing is having its intended result. Last time you were on the program and other times that we've talked about the PMA, you have praised the deputy secretaries at the agencies for the work they're doing. What have they done specifically? What have the most successful ones done to embed the principles of the president's management agenda into day-to-day -day operations at the agencies so this work continues regardless of who's in those various positions? I, I mean, there's too many to count. I feel like this might be in an Academy Awards speech <laughs> where I'm going to leave someone out. But, um, you know, notable ones, Karen Dunn-Kelly has done yeoman's work on the data strategy to help um, provide leadership from one of our data-intensive agencies, um, you know, whether it's NOAA, National Weather Service, Census, Commerce has a huge amount of um, data leadership, but we've combined that with the work that Suzette Kent's been doing and, and folks across the administration have com uh, committed to that. Uh, Deputy Secretary Byrne, uh, who's just departed, um, has played a leadership role in customer experience um, investments at, um, uh, at the Veterans Administration that have made a real impact. Um, so there's there's far too many to name. Uh, Emily Murphy at GSA has has been a great partner. But what are the techniques that they're doing though, Margaret, to to really embed the principles of the PMA into what their agencies are doing? So when these great folks leave, that work continues. That's been the challenge in the federal government since long before I started paying attention to it. So we've done a lot of things to uh, institutionalize and, and create runways for the work. Um, in IT modernization, we've created the Centers of Excellence uh, at GSA. We've, we've stood up Lighthouse Agencies, uh, the Technology Modernization Fund. We've explicitly included people from across government mm -hmm. in decisioning that, and we've given uh, just under $100 million to nine agencies. And every one of the, the IT organizations that have gone through the process, including people who didn't get award money, have been improved by going through a process of better governance, better, uh, you know, uh, more incremental funding that's more agile. Mm -hmm. On the people front, I think we've asked questions that can't be unasked. Mm -hmm. We successfully changed where background investigations were done, but in the process, we actually used a measured toll gate process to do that transition so we delivered the the change on time on budget uh, I, I think Charlie Phelan was on last week talking about um, us hitting our scorecard in terms of backlog uh, so I think there are a number of institutionalized solutions um, I'd love to talk more about the gear center uh, which is another construct that's not fully up and running but is a way that we can institutionalize a better connection between the private sector academia and government we will do that in just a moment more of my conversation with margaret weikert on the president's management agenda and her legacy as deputy director for management straight ahead on government matters her biggest accomplishments and what her successor should know you're watching abc7 Welcome back. More of my conversation with Margaret Weikert, Deputy Director for Management at the Office of Management and Budget. Margaret, where have you gone really hardcore on the PMA and where have you not gotten as far as you would like in the time that you've been executing this? So if you think about the gears that, that we have, IT, data, and people, I think we've 
we've really gotten momentum on IT. Um, you know, I think the TMF did precisely what Congress intended it to do, which is provide catalytic energy to something that is ultimately going to result in billions of dollars of IT investment being spent more wisely, mm -hmm. not coming out of the fund itself, but because the people who have been involved in some of these initial activities actually have learned how to do things differently, more agilely. Um, so investments from the TMF uh, included um, EEOC investments to modernize uh, their uh, case management system. You know, case management is one of these things we talk about a lot in government and haven't gotten traction on. Uh, USDA has received um, a, a, a couple of uh, awards and has done an amazing job. And I think if you look at their scorecard results, you'll see real progress there. Um, HUD has had some awards um, that you will see the real progress being made. Um, GSA, again, has, has done a lot there. On the data front, I think we've set out the foundation. We've stood up a lot of the um, operating models, the governance councils for CDOs um, and evidence officers. Uh, I think we've created a lot of dynamism around the area, and we've done some pilot initiatives through the GEAR Center construct to showcase the kind of projects that we think can can connect the private and public sectors around data. So I think we've made a huge amount of progress there. On the people front, there's a whole lot more we need to do. And frankly, uh, that was one of the things that was missing in the dialogue about the resistance to change around the OPM-GSA merger. People missed the reason why we wanted to do it was that our people mission is so important and the changes facing our existing workforce to meet the needs of the 21st century are so profound. There's a whole lot more work we need to do. So we've been working strategically on agility frameworks and we'll be piloting some things that even once I'm gone, I think will help us continue to think differently about problems like telework, mm -hmm. like um, how do we use uh, you know, that opportunity to get more efficient space utilization and provide meaningful uh, ways of work for our, our workforce. A lot of innovations around people uh, on the hiring front, but we need to do more on performance management. We need to do more on agility. Just very quickly, why do you think people didn't get the message that you had about why the merger of OPM into GSA was an important thing? So I can't speak to, you know, all of the reasons sure. why in Washington, uh, people take something that that you know we we did our best to articulate what we meant. Um, I'm not sure a lot of people actually read the uh, materials that we produced or all the data that we we shared um, publicly about the whys um, and attributed some kind of false narrative to that. Um, so I can't I can't really say why that happens. What in I, hindsight though, is there maybe a different message you could have conveyed or conveyed I, in a different way that honestly, might have gotten Honestly, the number through? one thing I would have done differently was not use as a placeholder name the government services agency. The fact that it had the same initials mm. I think led people to conclude something. Um, you know, a, a number of states around the country have you know, the Department of Administration, the Central Management Agency, they have other monikers, so 
you know, I, w I was trying to be fiscally prudent and <laughs> save some naming costs, but I think we would have benefited from a different name. All right, we have about two minutes left. The person who takes your seat after you, whether on an acting basis or someone replacing you permanently, what would you tell that person is the most important thing that she or he should do as they start to take up the issues that you've been working on? So the, the thing I think that is most profound about what we've done here is we've married the understanding, the rich understanding of the problems that the career civil servants have. What hasn't worked, what is difficult, what's challenging with what is the art of the possible. And so I think the thing that is critical in this role, whoever fills this role, is to continue to ask questions that haven't been asked. Why can't we do that? How might we do that? What could we do if we change this and this? Those are th things that I think are the most important things. And the, the honor and the privilege of this role is we've had the freedom in this administration to ask those questions, to not have kind of white elephants that are untouchable, mm -hmm. but really be able to ask questions about root causes mm -hmm. and then let the experts, the people who have the experience, weigh in on you know, where are the challenges and how might we do that? And then bring those people into the solution. 30 seconds left. Do, is it your sense that those people want to be involved with the solutions, that they're open to the kinds of changes that you and your colleagues have proposed? Absolutely. And, th and that's the thing I would say is the highlight of my experience. There are a lot of people who are very cynical or maybe paternalistic about our workforce our workforce is capable of greatness and just because change hasn't happened a lot doesn't mean people can't handle it my OPM employees I absolutely love they asked me tough questions they when they were fearful they let me know it and they let me respond and learn from those fears and make our solutions better that's the thing that absolutely defies cynicism like we can't think we know better let's bring the people into the process that you know that that's been the great joy of this job for all the challenges margaret weikert thanks for joining me and good luck in the private sector. thank you thank you francis it's been a pleasure up next taking alcohol tobacco and firearms to the cloud straight ahead on government matters how the agency's modernizing it and transforming its systems you're watching abc7 Welcome back. The Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms and Explosives plans to get rid of its only data center by this fall. It will be completely in the cloud at that point. It's a big turnaround for the office and its approach to IT. Mason McDaniel is Chief Technology Officer at ATF. Mason, welcome back. It's great to have you here. Thank you. We talked a little bit before we went on the air about the term technical debt and how this applies to what you've done at ATF. Tell me what that term means and how that informs the way you went about this transformation. It's a term that really arose in the software development industry, but has broader application across IT to really refer to any work that needs to be done to keep an IT system running the way it needs to be running that has not been done, mm -hmm. that has been deferred. And over time, it can build up into very much like financial debt. Mm -hmm. It tends to carry interest. The older it is, the yep. more has accumulated, 
the more time and effort it generally takes to resolve and to work off. This is pervasive all across government because of the amount of legacy systems that agencies have. How did you attack this technical debt at ATF, given that you have the same uh, budget anomalies and issues oh, yeah. that every agency has? It's been a struggle. It's, it, it is so tempting to try to do everything at once mm -hmm. and just say, we know we are where we want to be. We don't want to automate bad business practices. We want to do it right. We want to look at how we want to do business and go straight there. Mm -hmm. And we've done that for some of our core case management applications. We're rebuilding those. We did about a year of business process reengineering. We're doing those right. And you can't do that for everything, though. When you're trying to modernize 30, 70 applications at once, mm -hmm. it's too many moving parts. So you have to take a step back and say, how can we dig ourselves out of this hole? And what will it take to get there? Mm -hmm. So we looked at it and said, the technical debt we'd accumulated was so significant that the hardware and software most of our systems ran on were no longer supported by the vendors. They didn't know how to help us upgrade. Mm -hmm. We couldn't touch them. We couldn't expand off of them to kind of tweak the business processes the way we need. So we, we decided to step back and say, first, let's just pay off the technical debt. Let's just rebuild these capabilities that we have within modern technologies, modern frameworks. So when we finish that process, it will be 100% in the cloud with a lot of the automation support infrastructure that'll get us to the starting point mm -hmm. for continuous improvement efforts where we can really focus on the business process improvements, the new services that our employees that our uh, industry partners are so desperate to get out of us. So it sounds like when you started, it, eventually a transition to the cloud was the goal with the understanding that there were gonna be some pretty critical steps in between where you were and where yes. you wanted to go, that it wasn't just gonna be a straight shot. Absolutely, and we knew going in, 70% of our applications ran on hardware technologies that weren't capable of running in the cloud. Mm. So we knew we were going to have to rebuild them and we started out just saying we want like for like. Let's, again, we're not boiling the ocean trying to fix everything at once. Let's just take our, the source code for our legacy applications, use that as the guide and just rewrite that. We could use automated code conversion tools to get us like 80% of the way there mm -hmm. and then it's just after that manual work. Just rewrite the remainder of it in the new technologies, deploy it into the cloud, and then use that as a base. Didn't go quite as smoothly and easily as uh, as we had planned. In Does that it regard. ever though? No, and that's that's lesson number one. Yeah. Assume everything is worse than, than you plan going in. I made one fundamental mistake going into this that I would say probably cost us a year. Mm. Um, and that was assuming that our legacy systems worked. And we found in one of our systems, about 80% of the source code didn't work. Mm. So when we start out with that model of taking the source code and rewrite it, and you don't know which 20% of that code actually works the way it's supposed to, mm -hmm. that becomes an entirely different challenge. And we continued down that path for a long, long time trying it. And eventually we realized the code just simply was not good enough, uh, reliable enough to use as a model. Mm -hmm. So we had to step back and look for how else do we guide this? And we discovered that these systems had evolved piece by piece over the years, mm -hmm. and they had never been actually end to end tested. So we, there wasn't a test plan that we could turn to to say, here is how you verify that the system actually works the way it's supposed to. Yep. So we took a step back further and said, how do we find out what it needs to do? And ultimately, it comes back to really one of the tenets of agile development, end users, subject matter experts, pulling them in. Mm -hmm. 
And honestly, I'd say that is one of the most embarrassing parts of this <laughs> journey because I've run Agile projects before. I've been an advocate for Agile development for years and years. And Agile development is not about routine rituals. It's not about daily stand-ups and sprints. It's about communications. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, all of that is just to get to communication specifically between the end users, the subject matter experts, and the developers. And with all the background I had in Agile, I still, feel, still fell into that trap of thinking, we have the source code. That's our model. We don't need to take the valuable time of our end users to pull them in. And we didn't do that until much later in the process when we realized that was those were the ones that knew what we needed. We have about 30 seconds left. What's your strategy to avoid accruing that technical debt again in the future to try to stay ahead of that curve, Mason? Automate. Automate everything. And make sure that we move toward a continuous improvement model. So we continue evolving. We do not back, dig ourselves back into that hole. And treat contracts not as a club and a shield, mm -hmm. the way we have historically, government-wide. We're great at rolling up contracts, beating the contractors with them and saying, uh, you're not meeting the spirit of the contract. They're great at holding it up as a shield, saying we're meeting the letter of the contract. We need to treat those more like the ribbon in a three-legged race, binding our legs together. And whether we stand together or fall together really depends upon how well we work together as a team. Mason, thanks very much for coming on. Congratulations. Happy to. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening. Our daily program is produced by Sharice Hanner and Ashley Gallagher. Christy Marriott leads our technical crew. Our web editor is Andrew Wagner. Government Matters was created by George Jackson. Visit govmatters.tv for articles, videos, and more, including our first feature-length documentary, The Dawn of Generation AI. Government Matters is recorded at WJLA-TV in Washington, D.C. Copyright Sinclair Broadcast Group.